Amen. Well, if you would take out your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 6 as we now uh, conclude this chapter in our study of Hebrews. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that chapter 6 involves so much that it can be misunderstood and has been misunderstood and, and needs to be studied in the context of Hebrews as a whole. And, and that's what we've been doing. Uh, we've been going through Hebrews, and as we've seen there in the first five chapters of Hebrews, uh, the writer is making it very clear that, that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is the one through whom we can enter into God's rest. And then as we got to Hebrews 5, there's, there's a pause there where the writer gives a warning, a warning against those who are immature in their faith and, and who don't hold fast who neglect this great salvation that Christ offers, a warning against those that would fall away. And he's talking in that context about the, the high priesthood of Christ and how we enter into the presence of God through Christ. And then he, he gives this warning. And now, in today's text, he's going to come back to that teaching about the priesthood of Christ and pointing us towards Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is mentioned in today's text, but we're not going to talk about Melchizedek much because, or really at all, because next Lord's Day we'll get much more into that as we go into the next chapter of Hebrews. But for now, uh, we're going to continue to see what God's Word is teaching us here through Hebrews 6 about assurance and what it means to have that assurance and that confidence in our faith. And so, out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you go ahead and stand. As I read for us Hebrews 6, uh, verses 13 through 20. And actually, I'm going to start at verse 11 just to pick up there so we can see again this, the context in which he's speaking. So, beginning there in verse 11 of Hebrews 6, we read this. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you would pray with me, church. Father, we do thank you for your word. It is no small thing that we can gather this morning and, and 
hear from and, and read and, and study this word that you have handed down through your church for generations. That this word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. This word that brings light to the darkness. This word that brings life in the midst of death. Father, we pray that you might open up our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to believe the truth of your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to consider this morning two different types of people. We'll start with one characterized by a man named Tom. Now, Tom is 53 years old, and Tom loves to tell people about Jesus. In fact, he's loved to tell people about Jesus since he became a follower of Christ himself in his early 20s. He was at a local Baptist church under the invitation of a friend, and he heard the gospel and responded. And from that point, he sought to live in obedience and faith and to follow God's Word. He's been a faithful church member, church attender. He's taught Sunday school classes. Just about every week that goes by, he tells someone about the Lord. He loves to study God's Word and reads it almost every day. But Tom has a struggle, and his struggle is with assurance. And he struggles with assurance because uh, Tom fails at times. Tom struggles in his faith. Tom has doubts. Tom has times where as much as he knows about God's Word and what it calls him to, he completely and, and utterly fails in his faith. And in those moments, he wonders, am I even a Christian? And so he wrestles with this issue of assurance of salvation, assurance of his faith. Uh, there's another member of Tom's church. His name is Jerry, but most people don't actually know that he's a member of that church because hey, he rarely attends, if ever. In fact, for the last couple of decades, uh, he just hasn't been around much. Now, when Jerry was young, he was there faithfully. He became uh, a believer when he was about 12 years old, or at least the indication was that. He, he walked the aisle at a revival service. He was baptized. He got involved in the youth group. And, and he was there just about every week until the time he graduated from high school. And then Jerry came less and less. Eventually he got a job at the local factory and he struggled to come to church on Sundays because that really was his only day off. That was his me time, he would call it. And so he just stopped coming to church. He doesn't really ever read his Bible. The only real, even close to spiritual influence he has in his life is when he might come across a preacher on TV as he's channel surfing on Sunday mornings looking for the football game. And yet, if you talk to Jerry about his faith and you ask him the question, well, Jerry, are you a Christian? He would say, well, absolutely. If you ask Jerry if he's sure that he's going to heaven when he dies, he would say, absolutely. And if you ask him why, he would say, well, because when I was a teenager, I became a Christian and I got baptized and I'm a member of such and such church. I'm sure I'm going to heaven. Tom needs someone to come alongside him and to encourage him in his faith and to help him understand that, that, that faith is not always perfect, that we will fail and we will doubt and we will struggle, but to encourage him and to, to bring him up in his faith. Jerry needs someone to question him on his faith. 
whether it is indeed genuine or not, to talk to him about the fruit of belief that is seemingly absent entirely from his life. And to warn him that perhaps the assurance he has is a false one. These two people exist in so many of our churches today. There are those who seem to have genuine faith and the fruit of genuine faith and yet struggle at times with assurance. And then there's those who there's absolutely no indication of genuine faith, no fruit of salvation, and yet they have this false sense of assurance. And that has been the case, not just in recent years, but in many years. And in fact, I believe we see that in part in the writer's argument here in Hebrews as he speaks so much about this assurance, as he warns against those who would fall away. And as he does this, he helps us to see what it means for those who have genuine faith to have assurance and why it is we can have assurance, what that assurance looks like, and ultimately... What it is that guarantees that insurance. And he does that today in the text by calling our attention back to Abraham and then pointing our attention forward to Christ. And so I don't know where you fall on this scale of assurance this morning. Perhaps some of you have a confidence you should not. And perhaps some of you are lacking a confidence you should have. But my prayer is that God's Word would minister to each of us as we walk through it this morning. So let's walk through this text and and learn what it is God would have to teach us about assurance, beginning there with the first point in your outline. Our assurance is rooted in God's promise. It's rooted in God's promise. Again, we talked about this last Lord's Day. We see that the foundation of our assurance is in who God is, is in the character of God, and is in the promise that God has made. And that's where the writer calls our attention as he points us back to Abraham. He says in verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, and so he's writing to those who he desires to have this full assurance of hope till the end. And he's saying to him, I want you to have this full assurance, and as you consider this full assurance, I want you to look back to Abraham. Of course, Abraham to the Hebrews was, was a giant of the faith. It was someone that their attention would quickly be brought to. Father Abraham. And as he points the attention to Abraham, he, he reminds them of this promise that God makes to Abraham. You remember there in Genesis 12 where God calls Abraham and calls him to go to a place he does not know from a home he's always been in. And he tells him along the way as he goes to that place that, that he's going to be the father of many nations, that, that these heirs will come through him. And, and as he's on this journey along the way, he promises him an offspring and he promises to bless him through this offspring. And he promises to bless the nations through Abraham. And so the writer here is pointing out that this promise, these promises that, that God made to Abraham, that they, when he made this promise to him, that they swore on himself, by himself, because there was no one greater to swear by. That's what he says here. There's no one greater to swear by. Uh, oaths were common in ancient times, just like in legal proceedings. We see oaths are common today. And, and many times when 
when a testimony is about to be given, there's some type of formal process in which someone makes an oath, uh, a promise to tell the truth. And, and oftentimes when they do that, they, they'll put their hand on a Bible. That they're basically pledging, they're, they're making an oath, they're making a commitment, a promise to be truthful, and they're, they're basing that oath in something greater than themselves. That they're promising to testify, and they're doing that under the, the, the holiness, the greatness of something greater than who they are. And that's not just a common practice, that was an ancient practice. And even for those who didn't know the one true God, they would take oaths in the name of many false gods. But the effort was the same. They were making a promise, a commitment, a pledge, an oath based on something greater than themselves. Under the authority of something greater than themselves. But there is no authority greater than God. So who does God make an oath? Who does God make a pledge? Who does God make a promise and a commitment under the banner of? Under the banner of Himself and His own greatness and holiness. There's no one greater than God for Him to make an oath. A covenant by. He is the highest authority. And this is meant to give the people and to give us great confidence because this oath, this promise, this commitment that God made to Abraham, just as the oath, the promise, the commitment He makes to us, it is guaranteed. Why? Because it is guaranteed in the very character and nature of who our God is tells us here that Abraham's assurance was rooted in God's promise. And God's promise was rooted in God's character. And in the same way, our assurance today is rooted in God's promise and in God's character as well. And that's very important for us to understand. Because one of the reasons so many of us struggle with assurance is because rather than rooting our assurance in the character of who God is and the promise that God has made, we root our assurance in things that have to do with us. Things like the strength of our faith. And so we view assurance as something that comes along with strength in our faith. The problem is, our faith may be strong one day and weak another day. Our strength changes often. There, there are days when we may feel like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm so strong in my faith today. I, I believe God today. I, I trust God today. And then the very next day or the very next moment, we find ourselves in a place where we doubt and where we struggle. We can gather here in church on the Lord's Day and we can sing about blessed assurance we can sing about the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. And we can walk out these doors and sing a whole different song. And we struggle. And so if our assurance is, is rooted in our strength of faith, well, there's not much assurance to be had because it'll waver. Another mistake that we often make is we root our assurance in our feelings. <laughs> How we feel. We, we feel confident at times, so we feel assurance at times, but that in other times, we don't feel so confident at all, so we, we lack assurance. And again, this can change moment to moment. Some of you experience this this time of year, if you're a college football fan. <laughs> Your assurance 
in the second quarter might be a little different than your assurance in the third quarter. Your assurance with five minutes left might be a little different than your assurance with five seconds left. <laughs> One moment, you're confident. Well, they're going to pull it off. They're, they're going to win. Here comes the upset. And the next moment, you can't even look at the screen or the field. Why? Because it's, it's up and down. It's, it's based on changing circumstances and changing feelings. And one moment, well, this is the best team and coach ever. Well, oh my goodness, next moment they need to fire him and get somebody else. We're fickle people, and if we're not, character, we, we, if we're not careful, we root our faith in this upward and downward feeling that we might have. So one day we feel particularly confident about our faith and the next day we wonder if we're even saved. Now our assurance we find here, it is not rooted in the strength of our faith. It is not rooted in the fickleness of our feelings. Our, our, our assurance is rooted in God's promise. That's why as we look to Psalm 1, we find that the blessed man is the blessed man not because of the blessed man. <laughs> the blessed man is the blessed man because of the streams of water by which his tree is planted. The blessed man grows fruit and yields fruit in a season because he, he is rooted in the promises of God because he does not listen to the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. He, he delights himself in God's Word. He, he is rooted in the promise of God's Word. His assurance, His blessedness comes from God's Word. And our assurance is the same. And so it's no surprise then that the less time we spend reading God's Word, that the more we will struggle with genuine assurance. And, in that same way, the, the less time we read God's Word and study God's Word, that the more we might have a false assurance a lack of understanding of what it truly means to be assured in our faith. It's only when we immerse ourselves in God's Word that we can learn these rich truths, truths that we've been meditating on as we've been walking through Hebrews together. Truths like 1 John 5 that I've mentioned many times and I'll mention again this morning. Verses 11-13, through 13, the testimony is this. That God has given eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. That this knowledge comes through the Son through rooting ourselves in the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. We see as well, point two, that our assurance grows through perseverance. Again, another word that we've mentioned often and will continue to mention because the book of Hebrews is, is a book of perseverance. It's about a group of people that are called to persevere in their faith and we too are called to persevere, to endure, and we need this call to endurance. As I fear we live in a particular age when perseverance, endurance is a discipline that is more and more lacking. Struggling in your marriage? Go get a different one. 
You're struggling in your job? Go get another one. You're struggling to pay off your debt? Just don't do it. You're struggling with your, your studies in college? Quit. Well, we live in a give-up and give-in culture. And in the midst of that, we see ourselves farther and farther and farther removed then from those who've gone before us and know what it meant to really endure and to persevere. And, and this call of the Scripture then often falls on deaf ears when we read about endurance and perseverance because we're surrounded by the opposite. And yet notice here what the writer of Hebrews says to us, verse 15, he, he says, Abraham, again he's pointing to Abraham, he says, he, he waited patiently and then he obtained the promise. He, he talks here about Abraham's perseverance. Now I think the writer of Hebrews is particularly generous in speaking of Abraham here. <laughs> He waited patiently. I pray that those who come after me will speak that graciously about my life. <laughs> because as we read the history of Abraham's life, we, we might not describe that by saying, well, he waited patiently. We, we might describe it as, man, Abraham struggled greatly. And we go back to Abraham's call, and in the very chapter of the Bible where God calls Abraham to, to trust in him and to, to leave this land and to go to a land he's never been to, in that very same chapter as you continue, what do you see? You see Abraham struggling to trust God. God promises Abraham that he's going to bless the nations through him, through his descendants. So what does Abraham do right after that when he goes to Egypt? He lies and says Sarah is not his wife because he fears what might happen to him. He puts the entire promise of God in jeopardy. That's why it doesn't rely on him, it relies on God. If it was on him, it's in complete jeopardy at that point. Because now he's given his wife over to potentially be married to Pharaoh because he fears. He's scared. The very first thing we see from Abraham in this great call is his fear and his response to fear. But God is faithful, even when Abraham is not. And so as you continue through Abraham's story, you see him make a covenant with Abraham and a promise to Abraham, and he's going to bless the nations through Abraham. And even though Abraham and his wife are, are old in years, and his wife is barren and can't have children, or seemingly can't have children, he promises that he's going to give an offspring to them, and through this offspring he's going to bless the nations. So what does Abraham and his great faith do? <laughs> he goes and finds someone else to have a child with. He, he's not trusting God. He's not walking by faith. And oh, all the, all, all the problems and all the trouble that come from that immoral union that Abraham has. And yet, what does God do? God is still faithful. God reiterates His promise and God gives provision and God gives this offspring, this child, to Abraham and Sarah and blesses the nations. We see time and time again as Abraham is faithless, God is faithful, but then along the way something happens. Abraham grows in his faith and while his faith is not perfect, his, his faith is strengthened and as his faith is strengthened through his perseverance, he learns more and more to follow God and to trust God. To believe in the promises of God. To the extent that now the writer of Hebrews would look to Abraham and say, well, he waited patiently. <laughs> because he did wait. And he did learn patience. So that ultimately, he says, that he obtained 
the promise. And there's something interesting there in verse 15 about that word obtained. It's, it's not the normal Greek term used for obtained or received. It, it actually has the connotation of arriving at or reaching. And what that means for us is the sense that, that the promise of God had been there all along secure and in place. And eventually, Abraham gets to it. God's character is promised. It never changed. It's always there. But through perseverance and through the strength that God provides against all sorts of doubts and obstacles with great encouragement, Abraham finally got it. He arrived at it. This assurance that he grew in through perseverance is the assurance that we can have as we grow in perseverance as well, and I don't know about you, but for me, Abraham's a pretty comforting example for the writer to give. Because like Abraham, I, I have failed, and I struggle, and I've had doubts, and I've had ups and downs, and I, I would assume that most of us in the room can identify with that very thing. And if we're not careful, if we put our or trust in our experience, well then again, we, we lack assurance. Why? Because we're, just, we're up and down like a roller coaster. But, but here God holds before us this example to say, look to Abraham who ultimately was looking to God. Look, look to the one who struggled in his faith ultimately so you can see the one who was perfectly faithful. And the same God that was faithful to Abraham is the same God that is faithful to us. And that is why he calls us to press on and to hold fast, and to trust in Him. And He does all of this. He calls us to perseverance, ultimately by calling us to, to set our gaze and our focus on Jesus Christ. And that's where the writer then takes us, as he pulls us back now into the, the priesthood of Christ and the access that we have to the Father through Christ and this comparison between Christ and, and Melchizedek, which again we'll, we'll get into in chapter 7. But, but for now, we'll see this, point three, that, that our assurance then is anchored in Christ. So, so again, we read again, verse 17. So, so when God desired to show more convincingly, now, now he's, he's shifting here. He, he talked about Abraham. Now he's saying he wants to show more convincingly to, to the heirs of the promise. Who, who are the heirs of the promise? Now, we are today. Followers of Christ, the, the, the Christians there, the, the Hebrew Christians, heirs of this promise because what we see ultimately in Galatians chapter 3 is the offspring that God was pointing us to through Abraham, ultimately the offspring is Jesus Christ. That the nations are ultimately blessed through Jesus Christ. The, the heirs of the promise are those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. That's why... Paul writes in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so here now the writer of Hebrews is saying, okay, God now, He desires to show more convincingly to heirs of the promise. So, so these are those who have placed their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. Their salvation is secure because of Jesus Christ and, and God and desiring to show them, to show us more convincingly the promise 
talks about his unchangeable character of his purpose. He, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, no higher one that an oath can be taken under or by, and God takes it by Himself, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that's set before us. So, so follow the, the, the logic here. Follow, follow the argument of what the writer is saying. He, he's talking about God's promises rooted in these two unchangeable things. Well, what is it that's unchangeable? Well, His oath, His, his character, His promise. To so see, God never changes. His Word doesn't change. There's no variance in the character of God. You think about how you might run into somebody you haven't seen in years, and your comment about them later might be, well, they've sure changed. Maybe by God's grace, somebody might say that about you because maybe you weren't the person years ago that God desired you to be. And by God's grace, I hope people will say of me one day, well, he, he sure changed for the better. No, no one encounters our sovereign Creator God and says, well, He sure changed. No, God's character, who He is, it's always the same. Same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, we can trust Him. The writer tells us very specifically here that, that He can't lie. His Word is true. Again, that's not something we can say of ourselves. We, we struggle to be honest people. And sometimes we lie without really even thinking much about the lie. We just lie because we lie. I mean, some of you lied this morning when you got to church. Somebody in the hallway, in the parking lot, maybe here in this room said to you, how are you doing? How was your week? Oh, it was great. Lie. <laughs> some of you had awful weeks. Some of you feel awful right now and you are putting on the fakest smile you can put on. And we do that so often. You might have got up this morning late tripped over your shoes, hit your head, went to eat a bowl of cereal, but the milk's all gone and the cereal's stale, and you went to put on your, your clothes you're going to wear today, only find they're at the dry cleaners or they're dirty, so you finally found something to put on, then you go out there to start the car, and the car barely will start, and you're reminded that it needs an oil change, and then you eventually get here, and you're running late, and you're just grumpy, and you're miserable, and you're saying all kinds of things in your head, and you walk in the door, and somebody says, how are you doing? And you say, oh, I'm great. How about that game? How are you? How about the weather? It's, it's a lie. And, and then there are greater lies than that. We lie about our sin. We lie about so many things. But, but our comfort is not secured in our ability to be perfectly honest people. Our comfort is secured by the fact that we are trusting in a God who never lies, who is unchangeable, who says He will do something and He always does it. It is His character. It is who He is. And He cannot do anything but that. And so the writer here gives us this, this great encouragement. I love how he says, we who have fled for refuge. 
We've, we've, we've come for security and for encouragement. It's the picture, perhaps you've seen this in the news in recent days, those folks whose lives were just devastated by the hurricane in the Bahamas, and they're just, they're just lined up. Some of them maybe have a, a, a sack with them. It's all they have left. Some have nothing. And what are they doing? They're fleeing for refuge. They're longing for safety and security. And the Gospel says that's what we find ultimately in Christ. It's that great picture we have of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where you, you have Christian the Pilgrim leaving the city of destruction to the celestial city. He is leaving the place where he would have been destroyed and he's going to the place where he finds everlasting hope. And that is the picture of our faith and it is rooted not in our strength and not in our self-confidence. It is rooted in who Christ is. And look at this wonderful picture then He gives us. He says, Jesus then is our sure and our steady anchor. Now that, that's familiar terminology you see in the Scriptures and during this time, these nautical terms. And, and Jesus is that, that anchor. We think of that, that security, how he, how he holds something. The anchor goes down into the ocean and it secures the boat. But here Jesus, notice this anchor is described differently. This isn't an anchor that goes down. This is an anchor that goes up. This anchor goes up into the heavens. This anchor goes up into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God, and it secures those who are in Christ. That, that's where we're going. That's why the writer here says that Jesus is our forerunner. Now this too is a, is a wonderful picture. It's another nautical term during this day Mediterranean ports would often be separated from the ocean by large sandbars and those ships could only come in at high tide and so when those ships would come in if the tide wasn't up it was very dangerous for them to drift and to float they they needed to be anchored and secured and so a forerunner was a small vessel that would go to the large ship. It would take the anchor of the ship over top of the sandbar into the port and would anchor it there so that the ship was now secure. And when the tide would rise, the ship could come in. Well, what a picture of who Christ is and what Christ has done. But between us and the kingdom we will enter into one day might appear to be a large sandbar of doubt and fear and struggles and weakness. And we may wonder, how, how will we ever get from here to there? How, how will we navigate the waters? How, how will we make it through these trials? And the writer here reminds us, friend, we, we are anchored by Christ. That that anchor has gone up into the heavens. If you could imagine it today, there, there is a line that is securing you if you are in faith directly to the Holy of Holies. Directly to the presence of God. And what can break that line? Our doubts, our fears, our struggles, our failures, our weaknesses when we suffer or we watch others suffer. No, nothing, nothing.
can break that line because it is secure by Christ Himself. And that is why our assurance rests in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So, so if you are struggling with assurance today, then the call from Scripture is fix your eyes on Jesus. He is our sure and steady anchor. Stop looking at the doubts and the fears and the failures and look to Christ. And when you doubt, be reminded that our faith is secured by Jesus. And when you struggle, be reminded that our faith is secured by Jesus. And when you fail, and when you suffer, and when you're weak, be reminded that our confidence is not in our flesh, but our confidence rests in Christ Jesus, who is our sure and our steady So why would you place your hope and trust in any other? Let's hope and trust in Him today. If you would stand together as I pray for us. Father, we thank You that Jesus is our sure and our steady anchor. And Lord, that that our line is secure, our hope is secure We will come into the land of promise. We will come in safely to port one day. Not because of the strength of our faith, but because of the focus of our faith. If our faith is rooted in Jesus. We will arrive safely in your kingdom one day. Not because we've had a perfect faith or led perfect lives. We'll arrive there if our trust and our hope and our faith is in the perfect Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for any of this morning who are struggling with assurance that they might have it if they're truly rooted in Jesus. I pray for those who have a false assurance they shouldn't, who've never truly repented and turned, and the evidence of that is that there's no fruit of salvation in their life, that there's no fruit of genuine faith. Lord, I pray they would see that and they would repent and they would trust in Jesus. I pray for all of us, Lord, as we sing about this sure and steady anchor that our our gaze would be set on Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.